What's happening, everybody? Justin, Bridgewater's Finest on YouTube, Blockbuster underscore guy on Twitter, fueled by Nerd Tees, and this just feels like home. Welcome to a first on the channel, our coverage of the 2018 NHL trade deadline. In exactly one week's time from today, Monday, February 26th, the NHL trade deadline will be upon us. The 26th at 3 p.m. Eastern time is the drop dead time for trades to be completed in the NHL in order to like still qualify for playing in the playoffs. And really, if you're not going to make a trade for that, what really is the purpose of it? So this is the day. It's one of the most important days on the NHL calendar. This is the day when contenders and pretenders really do get separated. And the day after that, Tuesday the 27th, is the day when general managers who are probably going to make the playoffs or who might make the playoffs can really sit down and look at every other team in the league and say, okay, I know what I have now. Let's see what these teams have. Can my team beat that team? And that's really when you can size up who's going to make a run come playoff time. So the way that I've decided to do trade deadline coverage this year, again, this is the first time really that I've ever done it. I have a list here of my top eight, and these are my top eight players who I believe will be traded between now and the trade deadline next Monday. Why eight? It was the only number that made sense to me. If I extended it to 10, it was some that I was like, I don't really think necessarily that this is going to happen. But the eight players that I have on this list, I am very confident that all eight of these players will be gone at some point to new teams in the next week. So I feel really confident about these eight players. We're going to talk about the player, what their career statistics are, how they've done in the playoffs, what kind of player they are, prospective teams that may be interested in them, and what I think the return value is going to be for these particular players. And then after we talk about those top eight, I'm going to go through each and every one of the Canadian teams. And if there's a player that didn't make the list, but I think still could potentially be traded, we're going to talk about those players too. When we get to the Leafs in particular, it's going to be really interesting. With that said, let's kick things off with the number eight player on the, the Bridgewater's Finest trade deadline board, we'll say. It's Mike Hoffman, left winger for the Ottawa Senators. And before we say anything about Hoffman, it's important to point out, and I'll do this for every player that is in this position, any trade for Mike Hoffman has to fit within his modified no-trade clause. Mike Hoffman's NTC indicates that he can submit a list of 10 teams that he cannot be traded to. It's also important at this point to point out, I'm no insider. I don't have general manager's phone numbers. I have no idea, really, aside from rumor, which is like, I have no idea any more than anybody else, who's talking to who, what players are in conversation. This is just stuff that makes sense to me as an outsider looking in. Probably also important to say at this point, tip of the hat to capfriendly.com, who was incredibly helpful in the production of this piece. So again, Mike Hoffman, modified no trade clause, has to submit a list of 10 teams that he cannot be traded to. Mike Hoffman has two years left on his deal, getting paid $5.19 million per season. Important to note, Ottawa has already retained 25% salary on another player, Dion Phaneuf, who just got traded a few days ago. So the impetus would really be on not retaining any salary in a trade. In 317 career NHL games, Mike Hoffman has 101 goals, 112 helpers for 213 points on his career. He is a career plus 17 with 105 penalty minutes. And in 25 career playoff games, he's got 14 points, 7 goals, 7 helpers. He is even money as far as the plus minus with 12 penalty minutes. Just last season, when Ottawa came within a game, within a goal of reaching the Stanley Cup final, in 19 games, Hoffman had 11 points. Mike Hoffman is a reliable 25-goal scoring winger. He produces on the power play, and he's durable. He's only missed 13 games total in the last three-plus seasons, and that includes missing no games at all this season. My top three potential trade destinations for Mike Hoffman, and before I even say that, another thing I should point out, the way I put this together, 
interdivision trades are not on the board as far as I'm concerned. Like, I don't think Ottawa is trading Mike Hoffman, say, to Montreal. Because they have to play Montreal so much every season. Hoffman's got two more years on his deal after this year. There's no way Ottawa would want to trade that player inside their own division so that that player could hurt them six to eight times a season. I don't think that's going to happen. So interdivision trades are not on the table. My top three destinations for Mike Hoffman, I'm looking at the Carolina Hurricane, the New Jersey Devils, or the San Jose Sharks. All three of those teams need offense. They're all like playoff bubble teams. San Jose probably in the best position of any of them, I would say, to make the playoffs. But they're all like far and away from being locked into the playoffs at this point. All of them need offensive help. I could see Mike Hoffman going to any of them. Especially San Jose. That would mean shipping him to the Western Conference. Wouldn't see very much of him anymore. As far as the return value for Mike Hoffman, I could see the Sens asking for and probably receiving, when I talk about return value, like what I think they'll actually get for this player, I think a 2018 first round pick is not too much to ask. I think you're probably looking at a first and a second. I still don't think we're in too far up territory. And I think if you add to that, you're probably looking at like a later pick, like a fourth fifth somewhere along that line you could have maybe a bottom six roster player in there somewhere Ottawa may be looking to improve there or a minor prospect someone that Ottawa can bring into their system and try to develop from within it's worth noting any trade with the San Jose Sharks San Jose would have to make a second round pick in either 2019 or 2020 because they do not possess a 2018 second round pick so I ask you Sens fans How would you feel about that? Mike Hoffman to, say, New Jersey or Carolina or San Jose for a first, a second, and then either a late pick, bottom six player, or a minor prospect. That's a pretty good return for Mike Hoffman. Number seven on the Bridgewater's Finest trade board is Michael Grabner. He is a winger, can play either side of the ice for the New York Rangers. Michael Grabner is a pending unrestricted free agent getting paid $1.65 million this season against the cap. One thing I've also decided to do for any player that is a pending unrestricted free agent is to look at what their potential next contract might look like. Because any team trading for a pending UFA, it might be a rental, but they could also potentially be interested in re-signing this player. So it's worth looking at what is this player probably going to get paid on their next deal. And I look at Michael Grabner and I look at a contract for a guy like, uh, it wasn't Trent, is it Brad Richardson? I think is his name, Brad Richardson. He had a very similar deal to Grabner. The numbers are kind of similar. After the similar type of contract and around the same age, he signed a three-year deal for about $2.1 million. I think that's probably right around the money area that Michael Grabner is going to look at in his next deal. He's a very specialist player. So if you're trading for Michael Grabner and you want to retain his services beyond this season, you're probably looking at that kind of a deal. Three, four years and somewhere in the low $2 million. In 532 career NHL games, we got a goal scorer, ladies and gentlemen, 156 career goals, just 88 career assists, not exactly a playmaker, 244 total points. Grabner is a plus 24 with 92 penalty minutes. And in 29 games of playoff experience, Grabner has 12 points, 6 goals, 6 helpers. He is a plus 9 with only 2 penalty minutes. In Michael Grabner, you are acquiring a shorthanded specialist. This is a player with 14 career shorthanded goals. He has incredible speed, obviously got a nose for goal scoring. He has been top 10 in the NHL in terms of even strength goals since the beginning of the 2016-17 NHL season. Top three destinations for Grabner. I just got this feeling that he's going to the Western Conference. I don't think he's going to stay in the East. So I'm looking at teams like Anaheim, Los Angeles, and Calgary. Three bubble teams that are trying desperately to get in. The teams are so tightly packed in the Western Conference. A player like Michael Grabner can score goals for you, be an impact player, and push you into the playoffs. So those are my top three destinations as far as Grabner. For the Rangers, what are you looking for in return value? I think the reason that they signed Michael Grabner to uh, you know the, the deal that he they did was that 
eventually they wanted him to return a second round pick. So I think if you take Grabner and if you package a late pick, like we're talking like a fifth, sixth, or a or fifth or a sixth, I should say, Rangers don't have a seventh round pick this year, but like a fifth or a sixth, you'll get that second round pick back for Michael Grabner in a trade deadline environment from a buyer who's looking to make it into the playoffs. 2018 second round pick, it's not that much to ask for what Michael Grabner is going to give you. Worth noting, Calgary would have to make that second round pick in 2020 as they do not have either a 2018 or a 2019 second round pick. So Rangers fans, how would you feel about that? Grabner plus a fifth or Grabner plus a sixth for a second round pick in 2018, maybe help kickstart that rebuild a little bit or that apparent rebuild. That's what it looks like it's going to be. How would you feel about that return for Michael Grabner? Number six on the Bridgewater's Finest trade board, and this is one that kind of hurts me on the inside. It's Max Pacioretty, left winger for my Montreal Canadiens. Pacioretty has one more year left on his deal beyond this season at $4.5 million, which is a really, really valuable contract. In 620 career NHL games, Max Pacioretty has 225 goals, 221 assists for 446 points in 620 games. He is a plus 37 on his career with 335 penalty minutes, so Pacioretty gives you a little bit of everything. And in 38 games of playoff experience, Pacioretty has 10 goals, 9 helpers, 19 points. He is a minus 1. He adds 35 penalty minutes. Max Pacioretty is a Masterton Trophy winning goal scoring winger on a pretty damn good contract, as I mentioned. He's a locker room leader. He's been a three year team captain of the Montreal Canadiens. This guy will lead your locker room. And he's played in all but 16 games total. Since the beginning of the 2012-13 lockout shortened season and has eclipsed 30 goals five times. My top three destinations for Max Pacioretty, uh, and I had to look at it like two different ways because I can look at this as there are teams that are capable right now of fitting Pacioretty under their cap without sending any cap back in return. And there are teams that would need to send some cap back in return in order to trade for Pacioretty. So instead of three destinations, I actually have four. It's kind of cheating, but I took two teams that could fit him under the cap, two teams that would have to send some cap back. And we're looking at either Columbus or San Jose, who would be capable of fitting Pacioretty under their cap space right now. And then I also looked at Anaheim and Los Angeles as potential destinations for him, who would have to send some cap back in return. Now, return value for Pacioretty, and I, I got look. I have to admit, I'm not unbiased in this because it is my team. Pacioretty's my team captain. I like Pacioretty as a player, but I think I just realize, as a Habs fan, it's time for him to move on, and it's time for us to move on from him as team captain. So I just, I just think this trade is going to happen. So. I'm not unbiased, and in terms of the return value, this is what I think his return value is worth. I think the conversation begins, and this is the beginning of the conversation, a 2018 first-round pick and a 2019 first-round pick. Your next two first-round picks begins the conversation for this player because he's not yet hit 30, I don't think, and he's one of the most consistent and reliable goal scorers in the NHL. So first round pick in the next two years begins the conversation. And I think you got to send a top six forward to replace Pacioretty in our lineup. And I've handpicked from the teams that I've selected, I've handpicked some players that I would certainly be interested in adding to the conversation. I'm not saying it would be for Pacioretty straight up. Maybe Bergevin would have to add something on Pacioretty's side to get some of these players. But in terms of the top six forward to replace uh, Pacioretty, I was about to say Placanich, Pacioretty in the lineup, we'll talk about Placanich later, but to replace Pacioretty in the lineup, I would be looking for, if you're trading with Columbus, Boone Jenner, apparently he's on their block, so that would be a possibility. Pierre-Luc Dubois would be the big get for me because he's a center. He's proven that he can already play as like a top six center in the NHL. 
that would be a great get for us, I would think. If the Jackets were willing to part with Pierre-Luc Dubois, I'd be very interested in that. If you're dealing with San Jose, Tomas Hurdle, be really interested in him. Uh, Timo Meyer, I watched him play in Halifax for a few years. I know how good he is. Maybe Michael Bodker, that's a possibility, although Bodker's getting a little quote-unquote up in age that I would be looking for anyway. If you're dealing with Anaheim, I think it's Ricard Raquel. It's got to be Ricard Raquel. He plays that center role. He can be a top six center. Uh, Ricard Raquel would be the player from Anaheim I'd be interested in. Maybe Jakob Silferberg, but I mean, center's really where we got to focus on. So I think it's Ricard Raquel. And if you're dealing with the Kings, Tyler Toffoli would be an excellent return as part of that package. Maybe Tanner Pearson. But so those are kinds of the players that I'm looking at. And look, I'm not saying that. Pacioretty alone will get these players, but I'm saying these are the players, the caliber of player that I would be looking to bring back. But we're also going to call an audible and say that if any of these teams are offering up a young franchise style defenseman, I think you have to jump on that. I realize this is a team that needs to score goals, but Mark Bergevin flipped a coin by bringing in Shea Weber and sending out P.K. Subban. That coin flip was Montreal will win a Stanley Cup at some point in the next two years. And that that ain't going to happen. They ain't even going to make the playoffs this year. That's what that trade was about. It's like, look, this is our window. The next two years, we're going to go all in to try to win a cup. And Shea Weber is going to give us a better chance at winning a cup than P.K. Subban. I'm not saying he's right. I'm just saying that's the mindset. But... That coin flip was an utter failure. It was a tire fire. So <laughs> what you need to do is you've left that hole of getting rid of P.K. Subban and you have Shea Weber, who is still, I believe, a great player in this league, but he's only going to go here. So if I'm talking to the Columbus Blue Jackets, I'm sliding Seth Jones's name into conversation. Or I'm sliding Zach Wierenski's name into conversations. If I'm talking to the Anaheim Ducks... I'm sliding Hampus Lindholm's name into conversations. I don't think I'm going to get Hampus Lindholm because I just don't think Anaheim is willing to completely decimate their young defensive core. They've already kind of done that, but I don't think they're going to be willing to part ways with Hampus Lindholm. But a Seth Jones or a Zach Wierenski, I think is entirely possible. So I would be sliding those names into conversations if I'm talking to the Columbus Blue Jackets. But that's just me. And I don't think that's going to be on Mark Bergevin's mind. I think he's thinking draft picks and a top six forward to replace the one that I'm trading. So, Habs fans, let's say you're announcing a trade that Max Pacioretty has been traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for a 2018 first round pick, a 2019 first round pick, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Are you happy? I would be, but what do you think? Or say that deal was done for Boone Jenner. Are you still happy? Number five on the Bridgewater's Finest trade board is Patrick Maroon, a left winger for the Edmonton Oilers. Maroon is a pending unrestricted free agent, only $1.5 million against the cap, as Anaheim retained $500,000 in the deal that sent Maroon to Edmonton in the first place. Again, Patrick Maroon, as a pending unrestricted free agent, we're looking at uh, his potential next contract, trying to project that. And I actually think a really good comparable for his next contract was the contract that they gave to Carl Soderberg in, I believe it was Colorado. Now look, I think Soderberg got overpaid on this deal, but I think Maroon's going to get overpaid on his next deal too. And the numbers were incredibly similar as well as the age at the same time. Soderberg got a five-year deal worth $4.75 million. Patrick Maroon, I expect, is probably going to get four to five years as well. Maybe a little south of that money, but a low four is entirely possible. So any team trading for Patrick Maroon with the idea, maybe we want to keep this guy after this year, that's probably what you're going to be looking at trying to pay out on the open market for Patrick Maroon. In 357 career games, Patrick Maroon has 75 goals, 90 helpers for 165 points. He is a plus 17 with 438 penalty minutes, so he definitely brings that enforcer role as well as a scoring touch to any team. 
and in 42 games of playoff experience. And that right there is the reason why you want to trade for Patrick Maroon. 42 games of playoff experience. 12 goals, 14 helpers, 26 points. He's a plus four with 72 penalty minutes. Patrick Maroon is a power forward with size. He's got grit. He's got determination to go to the areas of the ice that other players won't in order to generate offense both for himself and for talented line mates. He has helped teams win playoff series, and that's the big thing. Helped teams win playoff series. He has at least 13 games of playoff experience in each of his three playoff ex- uh, uh, appearances. I was about to say experiences, but each of his three appearances in the playoffs, his team's gone at least 13 games deep, which means they've won that first round series. So if you're one of those bubble teams that you think you're going to make the playoffs, Patrick Maroon is a great add because he's going to help you win that series. My top three destinations for Maroon, I've got two Western Conference teams and a team in the East that I think could be in on him. I think you're looking at the Winnipeg Jets, the Nashville Predators trying to get back to the Cup Final, and the Philadelphia Flyers don't have a ton of cap room to play with, but they can fit a Patrick Maroon in there. And if they're pushing to try to make the playoffs, Patrick Maroon would be a great add for them. As far as the return that I think a Patrick Maroon type player would bring to the Edmonton Oilers, I think Edmonton would have no problem packaging him with one of their very late picks, like either a sixth or a seventh rounder this year. That's not exactly a big uh, a big giveaway there, but I think he brings back a second round pick this year, and I think he probably brings back a third round pick this year. Maybe that's a little too ambitious. Maybe you go like a fourth or maybe a fifth this year, but that second round pick would definitely be the key there, and I think Patrick Maroon would certainly bring that back in a trade. Worth pointing out that if Edmonton wants to make a deal with the Nashville Predators, they would have to accept that that second round pick would have to be in 2019 or 2020. If I was the GM, if I was dealing with Nashville, I would basically ask that in exchange for that, it's got to be a third round pick coming back as well. So, Oilers fans, how would you feel about that? Patrick Maroon going to, say, the Nashville Predators for a second round pick in, that would have to be 2019, and a third round pick. How would you feel about that return? We're at the halfway mark of our big board, and once again, great time to point out, I'm no insider, I have no inside information, but I just kind of have what I think makes sense. Number four on the Bridgewater's Finest big board is Rick Nash, left winger for the New York Rangers. Second time we're going to talk about the Rangers. This is not an easy trade to make. I know they're trying to trade him, they've publicly announced that he's up for trade and they're actively trying to shop him, but there's a lot that stands in the way of a Rick Nash trade. He does have a no-movement clause, although he's a pending UFA, so I don't see any reason why he wouldn't waive that for a chance to go to a playoff team. But he does have a no-movement clause, and he also has a modified no-trade clause, which means he can produce a list, which I believe he already has for the Rangers, of 12 teams that he can be traded to. As I mentioned, Rick Nash, a pending unrestricted free agent, and also part of the problem is he's making $7.8 million against the cap. Not exactly an easy player to trade. And since he's a pending UFA, you've also got to talk about, well, what's his next contract going to look like? You've got to wonder, if you want to retain Rick Nash's services, what are you going to have to pay him? And I think a pretty good comparable, actually, is Marion Gabrick, a player that just got traded uh, to the Ottawa Senators a few days ago. But I think Gabrick's deal is probably a pretty decent comparable because he had similar numbers and signed it at around a similar age. I think Nash is going to be looking for a long-term deal, probably six, seven years. Gabrick signed seven years, $4.9 million. So I really do think, even though Rick Nash is clearly declining... I think he's still going to look for that six, seven-year deal somewhere in the $4 million range. I mean, he made his money on this contract, so I think that's probably going to be the kind of thing he's going to be looking for in free agency. So if you want to be able to keep Rick Nash, that's probably what it's going to cost beyond this season. In 1,049 career NHL games, you have to think about how long Rick Nash has been around, 1,049 career games, 434 goals, 365 assists, one assist for every day of the year, 799 points as an NHL player. He's a career minus seven, however, and you got to take that into account. All that offense certainly has a give back. 746 career penalty minutes 
added along with it. And in 77 games of playoff experience, he is a playoff veteran. He has played plenty. 15 goals, 26 helpers for 41 points. A career plus seven in the playoffs. So, hey, any team that's acquiring him, trying to make a playoff run, think about that. He is a plus player in the postseason with only 22 penalty minutes. In Rick Nash, you would be acquiring a former first overall pick, somebody who blends the size of a power forward with the hands and skill set of a true playmaker. But Rick Nash, I believe personally, is about three years removed from being an elite player in the NHL. That said, he's still capable of generating offense and has proven himself with a bucket load of playoff experience. So a playoff team and a pretty comfortable playoff team is going to want this player. My top three destinations for Rick Nash, once again, if you're the Rangers, I think you're shipping him to the Western Conference. I think you're looking at the Winnipeg Jets would love a player like this with some playoff experience. They're pretty well guaranteed to make the playoffs and they want to go deep. I would say the Jets are a contender. So I definitely think they're a contender for Rick Nash's services. The Nashville Predators have had very open conversations about wanting Rick Nash. And I don't think you can quite discount the LA Kings because as they've now traded out Marion Gabrick, they want to find a way to replace that offense. They could just barely fit Rick Nash in under the cap if they don't send any cap back to the Rangers. So it's possible. And I still keep Los Angeles on the board because I don't think the Kings are done. Now, the return value for Rick Nash, and this is the first time we can talk about a potential trade with retained salary, because there's no reason, there's no downside for the Rangers, as Rick Nash is a pending unrestricted free agent. There's no downside to the New York Rangers retaining 50% of Rick Nash's salary, because it's going to be off their books at the end of the season. Clearly, they can afford it because they've got all of Rick Nash's contract under their cap right now. So they retain that salary just for the rest of this season. It's basically Rick Nash being given a paid vacation to try to win a Stanley Cup. So you retain that salary, and what is the return value for Rick Nash? As far as I'm concerned, he should probably bring back the Rangers a second-round pick and a third-round pick this season. I don't think his return is nearly what it, obviously what it used to be, as he's not an elite player in this league anymore. He's clearly declining. Uh, But a playoff team will definitely give those two high picks in order to bring in a player like Rick Nash, who has all that playoff experience, has had success in the playoffs, and is capable of helping them go further or potentially win a Stanley Cup. Failing that, if the Rangers are looking in a different direction towards a rebuild, he could bring in, say, one of those picks, either a second round pick or a third round pick, and bring in an NHL ready prospect. And I think that would be appetizing to the New York Rangers as well. Worth pointing out once again, if this trade is done with the Nashville Predators, any second round pick would have to be in 2019 or 2020 because they do not possess a 2018 second. So Rangers fans, how would you feel about that? Rick Nash shipped to say the Winnipeg Jets in exchange for a 2018 second and a 2018 third? How do you feel about that? In case you can't tell, I really want your input on these. Number three on the Bridgewater's Finest trade board is a player that has been traded a ton, and we're talking about Thomas Vanek. A winger can play either side for the Vancouver Canucks. Seems like we're always talking about Thomas Vanek at the trade deadline. Thomas Vanek is a pending unrestricted free agent getting paid $2 million a season for the one season that he signed with Vancouver. And this is the exact reason that Vancouver signed him in order to turn him around and parlay him for a pick at the trade deadline. And that's what I figure his next contract's going to be too. Kind of a Brad Richards thing. He'll take a one-year deal for 2 mil, maybe 2.25, something like that, in order to be shipped again at the trade deadline and bring in his signing team a pick. I think that's just the player that Thomas Vanek is now. In 944 games of NHL experience, Thomas Vanek, 349 goals, 388 assists, 737 total points in 944 games. This guy is a playmaker. He's a career plus seven. You would have liked to see that plus minus be a little bit better. So there's definitely some give back for all the offense with 509 penalty minutes. And in 63 games of playoff experience, another reason you would want to bring in Thomas Vanek, 
20 goals, 14 helpers, 34 points, but he's a minus 16 for his career in the playoffs, which I think that would make me a little nervous if I was a buyer interested in Thomas Vanek at the trade deadline. Only 24 penalty minutes in the playoffs. Thomas Vanek, I see him as a similar player to Rick Nash, but he's not declining nearly as quickly as Nash is. He's got size. He's got very good hands. He's still producing at like a 50-point pace for the season. So he's still producing pretty darn good numbers. This season, he's going to top 20 goals for the first time in three years. And his shooting percentage is nearly the highest that it's been in the last five years. So this is a player, especially this season, you're going to want to bring onto your team if you're making a run in the playoffs. Top three destinations are going to sound very familiar because two of them are the same as destinations for Rick Nash. You're looking at the Winnipeg Jets, the Nashville Predators, and we're also going to throw in the Philadelphia Flyers there because, again, it's an inexpensive addition to a team that's right in there to make the playoffs. Return value for Thomas Vanek, I think, is going to be the same as what his return value was, I think, last year, which is a second-round pick. I think that's going to be the return value for Vanek. Maybe Vancouver has to toss in, say, a fifth or a sixth or a seventh or something like that in order to make that second-round pick become a reality, but that's what Vancouver is going to want. Vancouver is a team that is careening recklessly towards a rebuild. They're spending way too much money to have absolutely no results, so a rebuild is definitely coming, and they're going to want high picks, second-round picks, first-round picks if they can swing it. Third rounders you can kind of deal with, but it's like first and second round picks are the building blocks to rebuilds. That's what Vancouver's going to want. So I ask you, Canucks fans, would you be happy with that? Canucks, make the move, trade him to say the Nashville Predators for their second round pick. It would have to be in 2019 or 2020, but how would you feel about that as a return for Thomas Vanek? Number two on the Bridgewater's Finest trade board is Mike Green, defenseman for the Detroit Red Wings. Mike Green is a pending unrestricted free agent who's getting paid $6 million against the cap this season. Looking at what he's probably going to get in his next contract, I think a really good comparable for him is Paul Martin. Now, Paul Martin's not nearly the offensive defenseman that Mike Green is, but Mike Green's not the defensive defenseman that Paul Martin is. Just by the numbers, I think it's going to be a fairly similar deal. Paul Martin signed for four years at 485 I can see Mike Green taking something similar in term for maybe five years, and it's going to be somewhere in that high four. I think a low five is going to be too much, but if you get him at like a high four, like a five by 4.75, that's what a team's likely going to have to shell out in order to keep Mike Green's services beyond this season, if they want to. Lucky sevens for Mike Green. In 777 career NHL games, Mike Green has 140 goals, 320 assists, 460 points in 777 games for a defenseman. Mike Green has been very good in this league for a long time. He is a career plus 24, always a good thing for a defenseman, with 522 penalty minutes. He also has a depth of playoff experience in 76 career playoff games, 10 goals, 27 helpers, 37 points, he is a career minus three in the playoffs, so that is obviously a question mark with 85 penalty minutes. Mike Green is that coveted right-handed shot defenseman. He's got a 35 to 40 point floor. So that's what this player is going to bring you. A floor of 35 to 40 points, and it only goes up from there. Who can quarterback a power play. This is a guy with 61 career power play goals. So you look at that, almost 50% of his career goals have come on the power play. This is a guy that makes your power play instantly better. But he's also a minus 34 in his last three seasons, and he's only got nine power play goals in those three seasons. What does that mean? Mike Green's a great player, but he's probably on the decline. My top three destinations for Mike Green, I think it starts with the Columbus Blue Jackets. They're among the worst power plays in the league. They need help on the power play. Mike Green can be that specialty player to play in that like 5-6, that third pairing, not get a ton of ice time, but quarterback that power play. Make that power play better heading towards and into the playoffs makes Columbus a more dangerous team. So they're right at the top of my list. But the Calgary Flames, I think, is entirely possible as well. Or the Anaheim Ducks, who also need help on their special teams. 
Return value from Mike Green, once again, we're talking about retaining salary because there's no reason not to. 50% retained salary means it's only a $3 million cap hit versus $6 million. Makes the player a lot easier to trade and increases his value. So you're talking 50% retained. I think his return, I think it begins with a 2018, probably second round pick. I don't think Mike Green's a first round pick anymore, or worth a first round pick, I should say. So you're looking at probably a second round pick from either one of those playoff teams and an NHL-ready prospect because Detroit is another team that's trying to rebuild, trying to get better, trying to head back towards where they used to be about a decade ago. And any good rebuild starts with high draft picks and NHL-ready prospects. And I think Mike Green can bring them one of each, and that would be an excellent return in my opinion. Red Wings fans. How would you feel about that? Mike Green getting traded to, say, the Columbus Blue Jackets for a second round pick this year and an NHL-ready prospect. And the number one player on the Bridgewater's Finest trade board for the 2018 trade deadline in the NHL is Evander Kane, left winger for the Buffalo Sabres. Evander Kane is an unrestricted free agent, a pending unrestricted free agent, I should say, who's making five and a quarter million dollars against the cap this season. Projecting Evander Kane's next contract, numbers-wise, I think Max Pacioretty is actually a pretty decent comparable for Evander Kane, but I will say this. You look at Evander Kane and you look at Max Pacioretty, and one player is a huge distraction in the locker room, and the other player certainly is not. So Max Pacioretty signed a six-year deal for $4.5 million. No one in their right mind is going to give Evander Kane that much term. But the money kind of fits. So I think if you gave Evander Kane, say, four years at maybe $5 million, because look, he's a great offensive player. But four years, $5 million, I think, would probably get it done. So that's why I think it's comparable to the patcher heady deal, because it's decent term at a little bit less cap, or knock some term off the Evander Kane deal, but it's going to cost you a little bit more money. In 555 career NHL games, lucky fives apparently, 175 goals, 163 helpers for 338 points for Evander Kane. He can certainly put points on the board, but he's a minus 55. He is def- has defensive liability should be tattooed on his forehead, but the offense is there. He also adds 646 career penalty minutes. Also, any team trading for Evander Kane, you need to realize you're trading for a player that has never been to the playoffs. And this is the only player on this board that has never been to the playoffs. Again, he's a defensive liability. He has posted a negative plus minus. And I realize that's not the be all end all stat, but a negative plus minus in all but two of his nine seasons in the NHL. That's seven of nine seasons with a negative plus minus. But he's a purely offensive, shot-generating monster. He shoots a ton, and he helps his teammates and line mates shoot a ton when he is on the ice. He generates offense. He's going to reach 20 goals this year for his third straight season. Pretty reliable 20-goal scorer on the wing. Top three destinations for Evander Kane. The top one on my list is the Washington Capitals. Why? I'm pretty sure they're going to make the playoffs. They are certainly past the eye test as a playoff team, and I think the numbers are right there. I know Pittsburgh now leads the division, but Washington obviously is right there. And yet Washington has among the lowest shots on goal per game in the NHL. If they generated more shots, they generate more offense. And that's why I think the Capitals should be all in on a player like Evander Kane. But you could also look at the Los Angeles Kings. They could fit him under the cap if they're looking to replace Gabrick. Or the Nashville Predators, again, they're just pushing so hard to get back to the Stanley Cup final. They feel like they have unfinished business. They're probably not wrong. Now, when we talk about what the return value is on an Evander Kane, a team is going to take everything into consideration, whether or not they think they can re-sign him, how badly they want to make the playoffs or push deep into the playoffs, potentially win a Stanley Cup. I think Evander Kane is that player that will bring back a first-round pick this year. And I think Buffalo would love 
to be in that situation. So I think Vander Kane brings back a first-round pick, and I think he brings back either an NHL-ready prospect for Buffalo, which they definitely need, or bring back another top-six player or a top-four defenseman. I don't think that's asking too much for a pure offensive machine like Evander Kane, especially one that a team can probably re-sign at a little bit of a discount if they decide that he works well with the culture and they want to keep him. So, Sabres fans, let's say you ship Evander Kane out to, let's say, the Washington Capitals, because I think that should be the number one trade destination for him. Let's say you ship him out to the Caps, you get back the Caps' first-round pick, you get back an NHL-ready prospect from their system, or like a top six player or a top four defenseman, how would you feel about that return for Evander Kane? All right, kids, the trade board has been emptied. We've talked about my top eight. Now let's look at the rest of the Canadian teams, all seven Canadian teams, and other moves that these teams might make. We're going to start with my team. In Montreal, obviously, we already talked about Max Pacioretty, where I think he should be traded, what the return value might be. The only other player that I really want to talk about is Thomas Plekanec. I love Thomas Plekanec. He has been a great player for this team for a lot of years. He wants to stay in Montreal. Montreal wants to keep him. Claude Julien loves having him on the team. He loves playing for Claude Julien. I want us to still have Thomas Plekanec. Next season. If Montreal does not trade Thomas Plekanec in the next week, it is an utter, utter failure of management. Thomas Plekanec has value this season that he's not going to have next season because if he re-signs in Montreal, it's going to be a multi-year deal. They're never going to be able to get the return that they could get for Thomas Plekanec right now. It is now or never to make a deal to trade out Thomas Plekanec. As a pending unrestricted free agent, he's making $6 million against the cap. Retain 50% of that, now it's three, much more affordable. Trade it to a Western Conference playoff contender who needs defensive help. The San Jose Sharks are number one on my list. Send him to San Jose, retaining 50% salary, and get back probably a second round pick and a third round pick if you package in some of the late stuff. Like, package him with a fourth. Or package him with a fourth and a fifth. If it's going to get you back a second and a third from a Western Conference playoff contender, do it. Because you're never going to get that value ever again for Thomas Plekanec. And then just re-sign him again in the offseason. Everybody wants this marriage to work, and so do I. But I would love for that marriage to come with some wedding gifts in the form of a second and a third round pick. Again, it is 1,000% a failure of Marc Bergevin and management in Montreal if Thomas Plekanec is not traded, given the opportunity this season to play in the playoffs, potentially win a Stanley Cup, and then come back to Montreal in free agency on July 2nd. Like, everyone wants that situation to work, and so do I, but you have to make that trade. If you don't make that trade, it is a failure. Period. Let's talk about Ottawa. So the Sands have already been busy. They shipped out Dion Phaneuf, retained 25% of his salary, which mm, seemed weird to me. They shipped out Nate Thompson, and they shipped out Christy Domenico. So there's three players out the door for the Senators. They brought back Marion Gabrick and Nick Shore from Los Angeles, and they brought back Vilpoca from Chicago in the Christy Domenico trade. I love that trade. For one, because I mean, look, Christy Domenico was a great story, but I think Vilpoca can still be something in the NHL. So trading that out, trading out a great story for a player that could probably play in the NHL at some point in the next year or two, and I think be good, be better than they are now. I think that was a good trade for Ottawa. We already talked about Mike Hoffman. Another player I kind of wanted to mention was Johnny Oduya. Now, maybe this trade is a little more difficult given that they've already traded out Dion Phaneuf, but Johnny Oduya is a pending unrestricted free agent. I think he's like 36 years old or something. I would be really surprised if Ottawa was going to bring him back. I know Oduya has a modified no-trade clause. He has a 10-team no-trade list. I realize that, but that's very simple to work around. You can do that. I think if you package Johnny Oduya with, say, a fourth-round pick, 
to a playoff contender, East-West, doesn't really matter, playoff contender, and bring back a third, I think that's a pretty good trade for Ottawa. Because look, you want to stockpile those better draft picks in order to facilitate kind of a bit of a rebuild here in Ottawa and an attempt to re-sign Eric Carlson. Hopefully, you can get Carlson to stay for the good of your franchise. But Johnny Oduya and a fourth-round pick or fifth-round pick could be that piece to bring back a better draft pick from a playoff contender. Staying in Toronto and kind of going east to west here. Staying in Ontario and kind of going east to west here. Let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. Number one, the Toronto Maple Leafs are a playoff team. That's it. Barring a monumental collapse, the Leafs are going to make the playoffs. And they've already made a move. They traded out Nikita Sashnikov, which they needed to do. Unfortunately, they were just between a rock and a hard place. Traded into St. Louis, brought back a fourth round pick. It's not until next year's draft, but at least they got something and didn't allow him just to walk back to the KHL for nothing. And I mentioned earlier that Toronto is a very interesting case because they've got three players who are pending unrestricted free agents who under any other circumstances, I would say, yes, trade these players, get back what you can get for them, except for the fact that the Maple Leafs are a playoff team. So do you want to head into the playoffs without these players? I'm talking about James Van Riemsdyk, Tyler Bozak, and Leo Komarov. Let's assume we're living in a world where you would want to trade these players. I think you retain sal- well, you retain salary on all of them, on any of them, because they're all making enough money where it makes a lot more sense to retain 50% salary in order to facilitate a trade and kind of improve the bring back. James Van Riemsdyk is the one of these three players that's going to bring you back the most. So if you're looking at a James Van Riemsdyk, you retain 50% salary on him. I think you send him to a contender in the Western Conference. I think he brings you back a first-round pick. And I think he brings you back a second-round pick. And I don't think... I think it might even be undervaluing JVR a little bit. But again, as a pending UFA, it's always a bit murky. But I think a first-round pick and a second-round pick... I think that's totally realistic, especially from a Western Conference contender. Or, failing that, because this is Lou Lamorello we're talking about, and Lou is a magic man. Let's say they find a trade partner who says, okay, if you sign JVR to a contract extension, you're going to sign him to this contract that we kind of mutually agree on, and hopefully it would be Good for JVR as well. Everybody would have to be in on this meeting and everybody would have to be all lovey and hunky-dory. And then you turn around and you trade him. What's his value then? Because now you've got him and you've got term. I would say you're going to grab either a second or a third round pick, for sure. One of those two. And I think you can parlay James Van Riemsdyk into that top four defenseman. That is like the one piece that I think Toronto is missing. I don't think Toronto's ready to contend for a cup this season. I think they're a top four defenseman away from that. There's your missing piece. And all of a sudden, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are cup contenders because they got the defense sorted out, at least on paper. You can replace JVR in the lineup because if anything, this team has too many NHL caliber wingers. So you can replace JVR in the lineup. A lot easier than you can replace, you know, certainly anybody up the middle. All of a sudden, Toronto's a cup contender. So I think this is something that Lou Lamorello has to at least be thinking about. Because, like, look, that's our missing piece. There's nothing wrong with our offense. It's the defense. And, like, the goaltending is fine. But we hang them out to dry so much, eventually Freddie's just going to fall apart. So, you know... If you can parlay James Van Riemsdyk into that top four defenseman, you are a cup contender if you do that. So they got to at least be thinking about it. Of course, JVR does have a modified no trade clause. He has a 10 team no trade list that he would have to give to the organization. So hopefully any trade would have to fit, of course, within that. But you can work around that. And it's got to be tempting for the Leafs to kind of might even be able to sort of jumpstart the Shanna plan a little bit, jump a little bit ahead of where you should be. Tyler Bozak, who we also mentioned, he also has a modified no-trade clause, has a list of 12 teams that he can be traded to. I mean, you probably don't want to trade Bozak, certainly not at this point, because, like, 
Center, if anything, center is your depth weakness. Like there's all kinds of depth on the wing, but at center, relatively to the wings, I would say, a little bit of depth weakness there. So probably less likely that Bozak gets traded, but in a world where you would want to trade Tyler Bozak, retain 50% salary, no problem there. I think you probably package him with your fifth round pick this season, send him to a Western Conference contender. He could probably bring you back a second round pick, maybe even a second and a third if you tack on that fifth. So, I mean, that would be a pretty decent return for a Tyler Bozak, a player that you don't necessarily know that you're going to be bringing back next season. And hey, speaking of a player that you don't really know whether you're going to bring him back next season, Leo Komarov. Again, he's a little bit older, not old, but he's a little bit older, playing in the bottom six, you know, really the fourth line, kind of found a bit of a home as like a fourth line center. I think he's pretty talented in that role, but are you going to be bringing that player back next year? You have all kinds of depth on the wing. If he can move to center and stay at center, maybe that helps his case. But do you bring him back? In a world where you would want to trade Leo Komarov, I would say again, retain your salary 50%. Probably package him with your fourth round pick this year. You send him to a contender in the West, he might be able to bring you back a second round pick. Like You, you don't really know exactly, and obviously I certainly don't because I'm no GM, except on NHL 18. But I think he could bring you back maybe a second round pick from a contender in the Western Conference that needs to improve their bottom six. That's a possibility. And I mean, hey, worst case scenario, I mean, (laughs) you've always got Roman Polak, right? Let's look at the Winnipeg Jets. And the Winnipeg Jets, I would say, are the only Canadian team that I would look at them and say, you are a legitimate cup contender right now. That's the Winnipeg Jets, and it's because they've drafted impeccably, their system is so deep and incredible, and they've just got the right people in the right places, and the Winnipeg Jets are a cup contender, and I think it's an awesome story. So in terms of players that you want to send out, there's not very much, because you're a cup contender, you want to be a buyer. But if you are looking at one player that could potentially be moved just based on situation, I think you'd have to look at Toby Enstrom just because of his age, a little bit of injury history there. He's a pending unrestricted free agent. He could still possibly get you a return of at least something. So, I mean, I think you got to at least look at trading out Toby Enstrom. I think your defense has enough depth to it that you could afford to do that. And it's not critical to your Stanley Cup chances. So let's say you trade out Toby Enstrom. Retain half of his salary to make it easier. Package him with a late pick, 6th, 7th, maybe both of them. I think you send him to an Eastern Conference contender that needs defensive help, and there are a few of them. He could probably get you back a third round pick, maybe even a third and a fourth, if you package a couple of picks with it and it's to the right contender and how bad they need it. He could probably get you a third or fourth round pick. And with how well the Winnipeg Jets draft and develop their talent, I mean, I'd have to take a look at that because I don't think it would be critical to your cup chances. Also worth pointing out, Enstrom has a no-movement clause, so he would have to waive that, but he's in the last year of his contract, so I don't particularly see why he would want to trade that or want want to not get rid of that when he's just going to hit the open market anyway. Let's take a look at the Oilers now, and I don't think I want to characterize it as fire sale time in Edmonton. I think they just had a bad season. Like, you can't really have Connor McDavid on your team and be a bad team. I think they just had a bad season. But there are some players, there are some pieces that I think Edmonton could ship out, get some draft picks in return, kind of retool, and head into next season. I think, well, again, we talked about um, Patrick Maroon. I think Patrick Maroon is gone. Uh, Mark Letestu, there's been a lot of conversation about Mark Letestu. So I think that's a possibility. I think I would be marketing him to anybody that was potentially interested in him. If somebody wanted to dangle a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick for Mark Letestu, I think I would take that as a pending unrestricted free agent. And a couple of other players, uh, Anton Slepeshev, as well as Drake Kajula. I think both of those players are expendable in the Edmonton Oilers, um, in their depth, in their franchise makeup. Slepeshev, I think, will get you a bigger return than Kajula, even though I think Kajula is a better player right now. I think Slepeshev is going to get you a better return. So Slepeshev, I would be marketing him to anybody. I would just say, look, Anton Slepeshev is available. My asking price for him would be 
maybe a second round pick if it's with a contender, but a third round pick for sure. I think that would be my asking price for Slepeshev. And then Drake Kajula, again, I think I would market him to anybody. Look, Drake Kajula is available if you're interested in this player. I think Kajula could potentially bring back a third round pick as well. And you might, you know, you might get somebody, convince somebody to tack on a sixth or something, a very late pick. But I think Kajula could bring back a third round pick, especially from a contender. If it was, you know, from somebody who was in a rebuild and was really invested in Drake Kajula, it might only bring back maybe a fourth and a sixth. Or something, but it would be something that Edmonton would be able to work with for sure. And I think all of those players could potentially be moved before the deadline. We're going to stay in Alberta. We'll go to the Calgary Flames. And the, look, the Flames are a bubble team. They're a playoff bubble team. They're right there. They might make it. They might not. I think the Flames will be buyers. So I don't expect them to look at shipping out many pieces if they absolutely don't have to. But Matt Stajan is definitely one that I could see them moving. Again, uh, pending unrestricted free agent. So I think you retain salary on him. There should be no problem in doing that. I say, look, if anybody out there is interested in Matt Stajan, uh, we're going to retain 50% salary on him. If somebody wants to offer me a fourth round pick for Matt Stajan, somebody that needs, you know, center help up the middle for the playoffs, maybe in the Eastern Conference, maybe the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know what? If you're interested, you want to throw me a fourth round pick. Sounds good. And I think that would be a decent return for the Calgary Flames, especially if it was to an Eastern Conference team that they wouldn't have to worry about unless they made the Cup Final. And I don't think the Flames are making the Cup Final. And we're going to finish off in Vancouver because I have a, I have this idea for the Vancouver Canucks. And I think it's a way to get them out from under something that I think they need to get out from under. And I think it would really help them in the future of their franchise. We've already talked about Thomas Vanek, but I'm not talking about Thomas Vanek. I'm talking about the Twins. I'm talking about the Vancouver Canucks making a trade with the Carolina Hurricanes. Because Carolina has said, we need to improve our forward core. We need to improve our scoring. We need to get better if we're going to get into the playoffs and make any noise. Well, Carolina, you got a ton of cap space. And here's the noise that you're going to make. The Vancouver Canucks trade Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin. They can only retain salary on one of them because they've already got retained salary transactions from uh, Roberto Luongo and I can't remember the other one. But they've already got two. So you can only have three at a time. So they retain salary on Daniel Sedin, 50% of his salary. They send Daniel and Henrik both, because you got to trade them both to the same place, because they're not going to accept a trade if it's not to the same place. Daniel and Henrik retain 50% on Daniel to the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, what is Vancouver going to get back in return for the Twins with how much money they're being paid and the fact that they're retaining salary? I think all you need is a forward to replace one of them. So, like, let's look at, like, a Lee Stempniak or something like that. Even though I think Stempniak maybe only has, is either a pending unrestricted free agent himself, or maybe only has one year left or something. But the big get for the Vancouver Canucks is what they need most, and that's defense. Defensive prospects. That's what I think the Vancouver Canucks need the most. Like, look, Vancouver's got Brock Besser. They've got talented, uh, you know, Jake Vertanen. They've got talented young players on the offense. They don't really have that on the defense, especially not if they trade Chris Tanev, which apparently they're talking about doing. So they need to bring back some piece on defense. So we're looking at Lee Stampniak as a return and a forward, and either Hayden Fleury or Jake Bean. Maybe tack a fourth round pick onto that in 2018. And there's your deal. Henrik and Daniel Go to Carolina for Lee Stempniak, either Hayden Fleury or Jake Bean, and let's say a fourth round pick in 2018. If I'm the Vancouver Canucks, I'd say that's a pretty good compromise to get rid of the Twins. All right, folks, that is going to do it for trade deadline coverage for the 2018 NHL trade deadline. Just to recap, I've got Hoffman, Gravner, Pacioretty, Patrick Maroon, Rick Nash, Thomas Vanek, Mike Green, Evander Kane, Thomas Plakanich, Johnny Oduya, potentially James Van Riemsdyk, Tyler Bozak, Leo Komarov, 
to Toby Enstrom, uh, Mark Letestu, Anton Slepeshev, Drake Kajula, maybe Matt Stajan, Thomas Vanek, as we mentioned, and both of the Sedin twins as potentially out the door, which would make this one of the most active trade deadlines in recent memory. Who do you think's getting traded? Where do you think they're getting traded to? What do you think the return's going to be? What do you think of some of the things that I've said? All of it. I want to hear about it in the comments section below. That's it for me. Justin, Bridgewater's Finest on YouTube. Blockbuster underscore guy on Twitter. Fueled by Nerd Tees. Today's blend was watermelon oolong, and I'm about to run out of it, which I'm saddened by. But again, what do you guys think is going to happen between now and the trade deadline? It's one of the most exciting times on the NHL calendar. Let me know in the comments section below. We'll see you again fairly soon because pretty soon it's going to be time for some playoff predictions.